0: What an absolute tune. I love that jam. That was Demi, a French producer that I found on my Discover Weekly playlist from Spotify, which I look forward to every single Monday. Had to reach out to him, hit him on Twitter. Demi said, let's go. And the collaboration was born. I thought it was an excellent selection for today's podcast. Today's podcast is Kent Youngstrom. Kent is one of the premier abstract artists in Charlotte, North Carolina. He hails from Chicago. He's a big Cubs fan. They've obviously just won the World Series. He's flying high on, on that realization that his cubbies are no longer held underneath the curse. But the real news with Kent Youngstrom is all of the art that he is producing that you can find anywhere you stumble in the city of Charlotte. Kent and I met on the hike and I noticed really quickly that Kent, although he's not much for large groups, when Kent Youngstrom speaks, you must listen, plain and simple. So with that being said, I wanted to jump over to check out Kent's studio, see what he's making, look at all the things that He's got his hands on right now in creating and I wanted to dive into Kent's mindset and what we were able to talk about is some fantastic content and I'm really excited to be able to share that with you today on Creating Space. So without any further ado, let's bring on the man, the myth, the legend, Kent Youngstrom, who's the guy painting anything and everything relevant in the Queen City. Kent Youngstrom, what's going on, my brother? Doing all right, man. How are you doing today? Listen, I'm, I'm excellent. Uh, we're sitting, as a matter of fact, in your studio right now. I am surrounded yeah. by your creativity. What you do is pretty impressive, man.
1: Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that.
0: You've come a long way, it sounds like, uh, and I want to get the story. I spent a little bit of time with you at the hike, although I noticed that that scenario might not be something that you enjoy uh 22 new faces might not be a scenario that you that you like but when you get you one-on-one man there's so much going on with Kent Youngstrom I'm excited to sit down with you
1: awesome yeah man that's uh the hike was awesome but yeah that is uh it can be a little uncomfortable for sometimes I was one of the few that went away and uh, I did take a nap in my hammock while everybody else played <laughs> um but I'm not gonna apologize for that because I can't remember the last time I took a two-hour nap in the middle of the day
0: yeah there's so nothing wrong with it was, that it, it was nice yeah. it, was, it was nice So two selections from Charlotte that had the excellent opportunity to be selected by Lululemon to go out to Chattanooga to experience some some excitement and uh, the personal development as well. And I got to learn a little bit about what it is you do. And it's come a long way, it sounds like. Um, If I were to ask you the first question as we start this off, tell me when Kent Youngstrom looks in the mirror, what Kent Youngstrom sees?
1: Oh, good Lord. Uh, (laughs) I see a dad and a husband and a guy who just actually happens to be or have a talent that's very visual to people. So, uh, people often comment how talented you are, and I don't see it as anything different from what everybody else does. Really? I'm just using what I have, and it happens to be very visual, whereas somebody who is good with their words might not seem so talented on, on the surface. Right. Um, I'm easily to rec- recognize for what I do because it's visual. Um, so I just, I just see a normal dad who likes to goof off and have fun and hang out with his family and kids and play soccer and work out and not take naps, <laughs> <laughs> except for uh, when you're around people you don't know. But um, I see a normal guy, really, I do. I mean, I don't, I don't wake up every morning and think I'm going to paint something awesome today. I just wake up like everybody else. So you wake up, what's the first thing you do? Uh, I work out at 6.15 every morning, so I go work out. Um, And to be honest, I never thought I could do that until I got old and people started asking me if, if I'd go with them. And so that accountability got me going. And what it does for me on a on a personal level is it kind of gets away all that crazy energy and allows me to focus on the art. Um, instead of sort of bouncing around all over the place all day long, trying to create something, um, I've taken care of that nervous. I've got to get it out of my energy and I'm ready to go.
0: I love that. I'm much like, that as well. I compare myself to a dog who's gone two or three days without a walk.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll,
0: I'll gnaw on the furniture if yeah. I don't get my work. Right yeah,
1: it's a, it's a, Yeah, if I don't go in the morning, I'm a little, I'm a little crazy.
0: <laughs> the craziness and that anxiety, I see and I say it all the time. I believe that anxiousness or that fear is an untapped energy source. And mm-hmm. when I look around your studio, there's energy everywhere, and it's in the form of splatter. It's in the form of brush strokes, It's in the form of pictures you have a really defined way to explain how you're feeling. And I think it's fantastic. And um, we're looking at a picture right now over the, the your back shoulder, and there's so many colors, so much going on. But in order to get to the point that that canvas is, there had to be a buildup. So where was Kent Youngstrom 10, 15 years ago?
1: Uh, I was living in the Midwest and moved out here to do some – design work with a developer, real estate developer, and thought that was going to be my new thing. Um, moved to Charlotte and that didn't work out as anticipated, which was okay. Um, we had to switch directions a little bit when the real estate market didn't go where everyone wanted it to go. Um, and I had to figure out what I was going to do next. And I had been painting more of as a hobby for fun and doing a few shows on the weekends, you know, two or three times a year at the most. Um, I met an art rep and basically said, how do I sell my work? I don't know what I'm doing. How much do I sell it for? And probably gave her 35 questions within 20 seconds. Um, she called me down a little bit and ended up getting me into a couple shows in Nashville. Um, the first show I ever went to, I sold zero paintings. It was awesome. <laughs> I brought them all home and went in the corner and wept.
0: Where was that first show?
1: It was in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. I don't even remember where, um, but it was a... It was a show I probably shouldn't have been at, so it is what it is. Um, But I I could quit, Um, but I had a bunch of paintings I still need to sell. (laughs) So I tried again, and the second time was much better. Um, Better location, I learned new things, I learned what sizes to bring, what, what things should cost, and things like that
0: remember what it felt like when you walked into the show, your very first show and you saw what you thought were established artists all around you. And did you feel like you fit in?
1: No, I didn't. I felt, I felt scared. Um, I've never, and even now still struggle to picture myself or say that I'm an artist. Um, I can't draw a horse. I can't draw a person. They all look the same. Um, so that's growing up what I assumed a traditional artist was somebody that could draw and paint realistic and things like that. Um, I say all the time now, I don't necessarily draw or paint. I compose color. Um, wow. And I, but I will say that I do that really well. And I will, if you put 10 artists in a room, I will probably say I, I might be the 10th worst or, but I will be the hardest working one there. Um, and I'll figure out a way to do what I'm doing and, and to get that energy. And the fact that you picked up on the energy is makes me feel good because that's what I do. I mean, I do – I compose color in an energetic fashion. Um, And the fact that somebody can see that and pick up on that, that's why I do what I do.
0: Well, I lead my life uh, as an empath with a lot of sensitivity to energy. I can walk into a room and I can immediately take temperatures on the room. And that is a blessing and a curse at the same time, (laughs) you know. But when I came into your studio, I can understand – when I look especially at some of the paintings that I'm surrounded with right now, kind of where you were at that time as you were composing it, you know you can tell maybe by the selection of the brightness of the color or the mm-hmm. direction of the stroke. I too do a little bit of abstract art, not anywhere close <laughs> to this, but i I do appreciate the thought that goes into the color selections and like mm-hmm. you said, composing the artwork so you're you're at this point where. You have just learned that you have this gift and -hmm. people are starting to appreciate what it is that you're making or composing. What kind of signs were you getting from the universe or from people around that kept you feeling like, I needed to keep doing this?
1: Well, one, I needed to figure out um, the next step far as income and job-wise. So um, as I started to sell a few paintings here and there, um, having a marketing and, and design background, I figured, well, I could just sell my own work. But it was that was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, that? Because it was hard for me to approach someone and say, this is my work. It's awesome. Buy it. Yeah. I wasn't good at that. But once I kind of figured out that, wait a minute, I've been selling other products for a long time and was not too bad at doing that. And everyone seemed to like the direction I went with that. A button kind of clicked and I decided, wait a minute, if I just remove myself from the product and treat when I'm painting it, give it everything I have, but then let it go and then just sell it as if it's a widget, it kind of clicked. Wow. So what I did was I had a friend in, in Charlotte who was a photographer and we went around and we put four or five paintings in the back of my van and we drove around to the crappiest parts of the city we could find we went into like under bridges and uh next to port pots and <laughs> trash dumps and all sorts of stuff And i would literally stand there and hold my art up and we would take a really cool picture of the art next to something rather ugly and i put a catalog together and it was entitled art can make everything Betterer," as in <laughs> improper english i get it yeah that was the point um, and I made 20 Shutterfly books. I had no idea what I was doing. I made 20 Shutterfly books. I googled as many addresses as I could find for retailers that I bought stuff from. From Creighton and Barrel to West Elm to all sorts of furniture companies because I had done some interior design and knew some of those people. Some of them I didn't even have addresses for. I just put buyer in the address. And I sent them off. Um, and still kept doing the painting, and would sell some things here, and do some shows, and those kind of things. And about six months after sending those catalogs off, I got an email from CB Two, which is Crate and Barrel's modern line or version, Hello. asking, "Would you like to work with us? And how much would it cost for three hundred of this painting?" I had no idea how to answer the email, but I remember I remember that day as if it was yesterday. Um, I called my wife. She was out having dinner with friends. I didn't even know what to do. I was kind of like nervous, shaking, like excited. But also scared because I didn't want to do something wrong. I didn't want to say no. I didn't want to say it was too much. I didn't I didn't really know what to do. So I called a few friends. No one really knew what to say. <laughs> so I decided that basically um, just call them back and say, yes, I'd like to work with you. Yes, I've done large orders before (laughs) of like maybe three or four paintings um, and just kind of go with the flow. And from that that point on, it was over a year, but almost a year to the date of that receiving that email, I got an order for 300 paintings. Um, Each time they called, I would say yes, hang up the phone and say, how in the world am I going to do that? Um, I didn't know how to box anything, how to package anything, how to buy anything in that quantity. So, I later made a lot of mistakes on the first one. Sure. But it was all a learning experience and it was all honestly part of the journey that has got to me where I am today. But that was probably if there was a big break, like if an actor gets a big break in a small movie or a commercial, that was my big break was to have a company like that say, we like your work. Can you make it for us? And on top of that... It was ended up being their fastest selling piece of original art they've ever had. So, it sold out in seven weeks. And just knowing that kind of gave me the the kick in the pants of like, wait a minute. People do like your work. Um, it doesn't matter if it's not a perfectly drawn portrait. Nobody, sure. Not everybody wants that. Um, but they like what you do. Keep doing it. People are watching. Yeah.
0: The tipping point in every entrepreneur, every athlete's life is something that they'll never forget. 300 orders from crate and barrel. Where were you at this time? Were you making these in your house? I mean, where were you I was, construct, expected to construct I was, these? Uh,
1: I, had a, I had a garage studio um, and a little off little like bedroom office that I worked out of in my house. Um, there was no way I could make 300 at once. So I made 150 at a time. I spent more time moving the paintings around than actually painting them. Um, we used the driveway, we used the living room. Um, I made 150 and then because I didn't know how to box them, I literally drove them to Chicago for somebody to put them in a box. Um, not the smartest moves, um, but it worked. Um, I ended up ordering one from Crate and Barrel just to see how it was boxed and I opened up, it was just bubble wrapped. I was like, Oh, I could have done that. But yeah, so I was in my garage making all these things, um, and trying to do, you know, other shows and things as it, it went along. It was about an eight to ten week process to make that many paintings. Right.
0: And you were doing every single one as an original. Original,
1: original piece by hand. Um, these happened to have, um, it was a painting that said Love. And it had an L, O, and an E that were a metal, like, sign letter that I, would, <laughs> that I had. To, so, I would do the painting, glue those on, and then I painted the V. So, it said Love on it. Um, and it was six foot by two feet was the size of the painting. So, they were pretty large.
0: How did it feel at that time where you talked about not wanting to make any mistakes, not wanting to fail in this process? Was it was the amount of energy that was going into each painting kind of exhausting where you're thinking, oh man, I gotta do 250 more of these things?
1: <laughs> yeah, I tried not to count because every time <laughs> I'd count I would get a little upset. But it was um, it became a, a sort of production line, but I didn't want it to be the production line where number 173 didn't get the same attention as 152. Got it. um, Because I knew that each one of those was going into somebody's house. And as long as I could remember that, and even today when I do them, if I can keep in the back of my mind that this is going into someone's house, and if I ordered it, and I got it, and it looked like it was, you know, a halfway effort compared to the picture that I saw that I ordered, I'd return it. Wow. So I I don't ever want to get a report back that, you know, three of them are returned or one of them or any of them are returned. I want each person to, you know, take a picture and post it online or do whatever they want to do. But I want them to get it and think, wow, I actually have an original piece of artwork and it only cost me this much money.
0: So what did you learn about yourself through this initial process of creating your first order and fulfilling the order and having to do it in a bit of a
1: crunch? I think I learned that... That no matter what part of the journey I was on, there was always something on the other side. There was, you know, going from I don't know if I can sell anything to somebody ordering 300 at once was a big deal. But then when those 300 were done, I had to figure out what the next step was. And that was okay. but at the same time, you know, celebrate that that you that you did 300. That's pretty. Yeah. That's pretty darn cool. Um, but it doesn't stop there either. So it's sort of that balance between you did it and you got to do it again. Um, that's a fine line for me as an artist. Um, the creative brain doesn't turn off, which. As you as you said is is a blessing or a curse. I sure. mean, sometimes I just like to take it off and throw it away for a while. <laughs> Could you please stop thinking of crap right now? Um, just enjoy where you're at. Um, but I, I I mean it was a it was like kind of a. Uh, you can do it moment, whether that's athletics or, or whatever. Um, You know, you can, you can play with a big voice. You can, you can, you can go to the, you can be on the all-star team. You can, you can be what you can be on the highest club, whatever, whatever you want to say. It was sort of that moment of, okay, the little kid from the little town can play with the city kids.
0: Sure. You mention all the time in some of your videos. Mm -hmm. And even when you were introducing yourself at the hike, I am an artist but not the tortured kind. Mm -hmm. What does that mean?
1: It has little to do with uh, being a starving artist as far as financial. People ask me all the time, do you mean that you've made it so you don't have to be ramen noodles and, and whatever? And that really has nothing to do with it. I think an artist is commonly tortured more by, I need to find the next big thing. And I think as an artist, one of the things that I'm fairly decent at, is, is being able to stay in the moment and paint. Mm. Um, what am I feeling now versus I need to paint this so that someone thinks it's awesome later. Um, that does not mean that there are moments as an artist where you're frustrated, but my favorite part of painting, and this is hard for people to understand, but my absolute favorite part of painting is when I'm stuck and I don't know what to paint next or how to fix the painting because I know on the other side of that is that five seconds of, I got it. (laughs) I got it. It was, it was annoying me. It was two weeks of not knowing what to do. I hate this painting. Now it's my favorite. It's, you know, it could be the chim- the cheesy symbolic of of life or whatever, but that's why I paint. I paint for that five seconds of I've got it.
0: I love that. I can remember as an athlete when I was working to try to get the muscle memory of a of a move, right, a step mm-hmm. over maybe, mm-hmm. and it was time after time that I would not perform it correctly, and I was whittling down the edge, so oh, to speak, yeah. right, and and then it was that moment where two weeks of sharpening the blade and then all of a sudden the step over works and it clicks yep. and you've got you've you've committed it to memory now and you can do it without even thinking. I love that those aha moments. I tend to have them now with the podcast as I'm thinking yep. of, as a creative, right. okay, w- can we add a visual component? Can we add this or can we market it in this way? And you get stuck. But I will agree that there's a lot of times where in those stuck moments you become hyper-engaged, you become more competitive and then you find the the will to push through. What's probably a painting that you can think back of where you had that uh, that block, <laughs> that creative block and then were able to push through for one of your best?
1: That's the easiest question you've asked. I have two <laughs> paintings I would never sell. I have one I made for my wife when we were dating and I have another one that took me seven years to finish. Whoa. Now I never, I, I say that and people were like, oh, seven years. I didn't paint it every day. It would sit in the, in the I don't like this pile for three or four months at a time. And I'd pull it out and try to doodle on it and whatnot. And it went, it was probably in three or four different houses and garages and whatnot sure. of me just carrying it around and going, uh, should I throw this away? Should I not? One day I pulled it out and I started painting circles and squares on it. And the piece is actually called circle versus square. You would, I would show it to you, and you probably would be like, "Yeah, it's just another Kent painting." It's not like it's the best painting I've ever done, but I will never sell it because when I walk by it every day, it reminds me, "Keep going, mm. keep going." It might be seven years from now, but something cool is going to happen.
0: Do you feel that there are times as an artist where you you need that? You need to
1: Abs- absolutely. There are times, just like just like everyone assumes that. Uh, I'm an artist, so I get to paint every day. So I come in and I'm, you know, frolicking through the tulips and, and want to paint. There are times when it's a job, when I've got to come in and when you're on painting 219 and you've been doing it for six weeks and you've got to finish 300, it's a job. You're painting a blue stripe in the third quadrant and a brown stripe above that and whatnot, whatever it is, it could be monotonous. So there are times when you need to remind yourself, just keep going. There are, there are better better things in the next hour, better things in the next 20 minutes, whatever it would be.
0: How do you relate those lessons to life?
1: Um, that's a great question. And as an artist, I feel like this isn't my job. This is my life. So I don't, when I leave here, the studio at five o'clock, I don't stop being an artist. Um, and when I'm at home, I'm not necessarily not an artist, but I can be an artist as a dad. I can be an artist as a husband. I can be an artist as a soccer coach. Just because everyone else wants to take the ball down the line and cross it doesn't mean that I have to coach my kids to do that way. Sure. There's not a lot of 14 year old boys who are going to head it in the back of the post every time. So we don't do that. Um, just because everyone else is watch, letting their kids watch movie A or movie B or, or have this app on their phone doesn't mean as a dad I have to follow the trends. Um, all those types of things. I mean, I think, and sometimes detrimentally, I try to go the opposite direction to everyone else. Sure, Um, That's not always the best wise choice or it can drive those that you're with crazy because they're like, just do what everyone else does. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Um, So it can go both ways. But I think I try to think left when everyone thinks right, at least to, at least to stop and make that thought. That doesn't mean that I go left, but it's always in my head of what could I do differently not just to be different, but to have a, a different outcome than what I see Group A or Group B doing. So,
0: what, how does that make you feel about the direction of society at this moment?
1: I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how I can change all of that part of it, um, just because it's such a big picture in my head, and I might explode. <laughs> but I can. But I can. I can affect those immediate around me, whether that's my, my kids or those I'm with, and actually engage in, in conversation rather than sitting on the on our phones while we're all waiting ten minutes here or there. Those types of things. Right. I could use examples of when I'm a soccer coach. Uh, we don't we don't have phones during practice. We don't have phones between games. Uh, when the kids go to eat. I take them away. Sure. Just, I mean, little things like that, I think can be, even if it's for 10 minutes, just trying to give kids an example of, listen, you're only together for a year or whatever it is and get to know each other. You're going to be a better person, a better teammate. If you know the person next to you, those types of things.
0: As an artist, Mm -hmm. you spend a a considerable amount of time on your own, but you have a huge passion for connection, Mm -hmm. huge passion for team dynamic. Where do you think that dichotomy comes from?
1: Yeah, no. Admittedly, people wonder, you know, what's your favorite part about being an artist? And I half-jokingly say I get to be in my studio all day by myself. And they kind of chuckle, and I'm like, no, that's my favorite part of being an artist. (laughs) (laughs) I get to be in the studio by myself all day. Um, But then contrast that with athletics. I have always felt like the best players or the best players on the team or the player I've wanted to be is the one that made the team better. Um, and maybe that's a little bit selfish um but I would much rather play a team sport than an individual sport because that's what I was good at. I was better at making those around me better, so i I even struggle with like how am I so good on my own at my career? But when I'm in a group setting, I'm really good, and I think it's i think it comes down to what I'm comfortable with if I really think about it, I'm comfortable in certain sports being the guy go to a guy. Sure. You know, if you put me in a pair of ice, uh, you know, put me on a hockey team, that's not going to be me. Right. I'm going to be out of my element. But, um, I do have a passion for connection, but it's a little bit different than I think when a lot of people say I really love people and I love to connect with people, you would never hear those words come out of my mouth. Not that I don't like people, but that's not, that's not me. I'm not going to go into a group, um, like a, you know, a business mixer There's no mixing for me. I'm just, I'm the guy on the side like, okay, I've been here for five minutes and I can go. Um, And that's what I'm comfortable with. And and I think I've, I think I've come to the point where that's okay. You know, I've, I, mixtures aren't for me. I'll just put it, I'll just leave it at that. Um, But, but I've built my business on connections, but it's not like a connection where I've reached out. Um, because I am really outgoing and have met somebody in at a party or at an event and said, Hey, here's this. Right. I'm much better at, here's a really cool email. I make cool stuff. You make cool stuff, you know, like bacon and anything. We'd be better together. Right. Um, right. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of how I do it. And then once I get to know you, we can have a much better conversation than, um, and I enjoy that part of working with people. I enjoy that I have built my business by working with other people and letting them market me. Sure, because um, I'm more comfortable with that. I'd rather I'd rather have you tell people that you like my work than to yeah. me tell people that I'm awesome because that just doesn't. That sounds odd coming out of my mouth. Right. Or even like I do this, you should have it. I can't. It doesn't. It doesn't work for me. I want you to fall so in love with the work that you can't live without it. That's what I want. Sure. I'm the worst salesperson for my work. You know, if you don't like it, move along would be my line. That's not very good as a salesperson. Um, So I I do struggle with sometimes trying to figure out like, why am I so good as a team environment, but I like to work on my own. There's probably some better answer than I gave you, but that's just what I'm comfortable with.
0: What do you, what's the important part about connection to you? Because, Wherever you go, you've got connection, Mm -hmm. you're connected to the canvas, Mm -hmm. you're hyper engaged in that scenario. In this scenario, 1v1, Mm -hmm. hyper engaged to the conversation, Mm -hmm. tons of connection there. What is it about the excess amount of people? Is it the lack thereof of connection? There's so much energy being thrown in all different areas and there's a, a, a gap there between you and the hyper engagement that you live your life around?
1: Yeah, I think I think part of it is just um, I struggle with those that I sense. I'm trying to say this in a nice way. Disingenuous. I'm trying. I struggle with those who think they are more than important than others. If you want to see Kent get upset in a public place, have somebody cut in line, or have somebody spout off about how the person in front of the line, isn't helping everyone and that they have things to do. We all have things to do. Shut up, (laughs) get in the back of the line, unless you would like me to put my foot somewhere. You don't want it. it. I just, I really struggle with that. And so I try not to be that person. I think that's part of it. So in a group setting, I don't want to show up and announce I'm Kent. I do cool stuff. I'm more important than you because the stuff I do, it's put on walls, well, so what? it doesn't matter we're all we all have we all have a talent that we were given, sure, and I admire those that use that talent more than anything in the world um, and use it well and use it confidently, no matter what it is, whether it's I'm a great cook so I'm going to cook for people I'm a great Door opener, so I'm gonna door open doors for people. Whatever it is, mine happens to be visual, so people think it's cool, and and that's great. I mean, that's that that I love that. I mean, good for me. Right. But at the same time, when I'm in a group of people, it's hard. It's I don't want to make that talent or whatever I've been given socially to stand out more than other people. And I think that's where I, I think that's where that comes from. And it and that's not saying and and it sounds like I'm saying that those that are loud and boisterous I don't like those people that's really not it it's just that sure. I just not I'm not comfortable being that person and sure. if there if there weren't those people it would be a really boring group of of 22 kents getting together <laughs> um I, I get that um no one would want to be in that group so um it's just how I, I think that's where i come from is like i don't i don't feel like i need to stand out in the group unless, I think that's where the team part comes into it, I'll stand out if I'm helping you.
0: You've got bags of humility. There's no doubt about it. And in the hike, it was a struggle for you to just get engaged too much, right? You didn't want the attention. And at the end of it, in the leadership declaration, everyone went around and they talked about what they Mm -hmm. wanted to declare to be um, what was true to them about themselves and how they wanted to move forward. Yours was hilarious. Right? So a guy who has spent much of the time kind of off to the side, not not too much, but not saying much at all, says, I am real. I am awkward. I am real awkward. And it to me, it sums you up so beautifully, right? Because, because people think you're not, you're not speaking, you're not being involved – that it makes you awkward, but at the same time, it is actually at the core of it. I don't want any attention. I know what I'm good at. I know that I'm actually pretty good at it, but yet I don't need your attention. I thought it was beautiful, man.
1: Thanks, man. I mean, I think it, I think it came from, or comes from one, the hike, but two, just some other things that I've been going through or thinking about and things like that and how I built my business. And I think that the awkwardness comes from, Everyone at the hike that I talked to, and I'll just use that group just because we were there. There's 22 of us or whatever there were. All of us, in some form, were very awkward. (laughs) We've got somebody there who is, you know, physically, you know, puts on different legs to do different things. In one sense, that's awkward. Sure. We've got a leader who, when you look at her, you're like, I think she won CrossFit Games and the Iditarod last week. Right. Right. So, she's awkward in that way. Sure. There is, you know, there's somebody who's running a kickboxing studio who's like, I don't I don't have any certification. So, I feel awkward running this. Somebody else who started a business, like, I run a, a restaurant, but I don't really cook. So, we're all awkward in some sense. It doesn't mean that we're awkward socially or whatever it is. But we're all awkward in what we're doing because we don't feel like we fit in. Correct. But what that awkwardness in one season does... It sets us up for relevance in another. So the reason you go to the kickboxing studio with a girl who doesn't have a certification is because she doesn't have a certification. She's not doing everything everybody else is. Sure. The reason that you're standing in awe because the dude is climbing the rock wall, he doesn't have legs. Yeah. Tell me that's not inspirational. Sure. Yeah. His awkwardness in one season has set him up for what he does in life to inspire people beyond what I could ever do. I can't do that. You can't do that. No but that's because... Let's, we weren't awkward in that way. So I think what it was is like, I'm owning the fact that I didn't grow up as an artist. I'm, I live in South Charlotte, which isn't considered the art capital of the world. I'm not necessarily awkward as in like, you would look at me and go, that dude is weird looking or he's whatever, <laughs> but I am awkward in the art world. You know, I'm just a regular guy making art that doesn't, that doesn't really exist. Sure. If I go into the art world, if I go into Noda or whatever, I'm awkward there because I'm an artist, but I'm a dad who has two kids. That doesn't work there. Yeah. But if I'm over here in South Charlotte, I'm awkward because I'm an artist and I'm not the, a banker. Right. So I'm awkward in a lot of social settings or in what I do. But that has set me up for, all right, you are an artist, but you're actually different than most artists. Mm. If that makes any sort of sense. Absolutely. So I am awkward. But that's a good thing. And I'm owning that awkwardness. Um, and I'm proud of it. I'm proud that, you know, I'm just the average guy artist. Um, my friends tell me all the time, they're like, you're you're weird, but not in a weird way, if that makes any sense at all. Um, but I think if we all sort of look at ourselves and find out what we're awkward at, it might be. What makes us successful? Our greatest gift. Yeah, I mean, if you think if you think of just think of some of the top successful people that you can think of in the world, think about them. They're a little nuts, Yeah, I mean, hey, think listen, of, think I of think
0: them. I'm nuts every day. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm seeing this vision in my head about a podcast that is growing and flourishing. Yeah. And I think that it's great, but when I <laughs> talk to someone else and share the vision, yeah. they look at me like a madman. Like,
1: yeah, how, how do you, you believe
0: doing? this is going to work? Right, I, I feel, and I've been told since I was little, Wes, you talk too much. You've mm-hmm. got too much energy, and you're far too crazy to, to be around. It's just too and look, much And now you've got energy. a microphone in
1: your face, and that's what you're doing. It, it, isn't yeah, it, so your awkwardness has set you up for relevance in what you're doing. Correct. And,
0: and it's incredible that you have seen that. So that, that moves us to another great question of yours. Do you believe that the passion... That people have is the sweet spot, and that people should chase their passions in their
1: lives. If I say yes, someone will quit their job and then blame me. <laughs> if I say no, I sound like a hypocrite. So maybe. Uh, that sounds like it. That sounds yeah, like Yeah, that's all I got. On voting like a, day, I'm going to give you a political <laughs> answer. You should maybe follow your heart. But, make sure you get a paycheck, or your wife will leave you. <laughs> um, yes, I think you should follow your heart. that doesn't mean you have to do it with your job
0: mm.
1: if Explain you're that. If you are great at serving people and that's what fills your bucket, do it at work. Do it at church on the weekends. do it at the homeless shelter on Thursday night. I don't think, I think if I had to, if for, who knows what the case, but if I had to go to do a nine to five job, I, I would probably not like it, but I could be an artist, I could be an artist there. I could be an artist in the evening. I could do whatever. Um, I wrote a book called, um, be something if you want to make something. And one of the chapters in there was about do it today. Don't put it off. Don't wait for your baby to be out of diapers, for your kids to be out of school, for your student loans to be paid off. If there's something you want to do, do it today. That doesn't mean you quit your job today. It means if you want to be an artist, paint at night, paint on the weekends, do art shows on the weekends, do what you do need to do to pay your bills and to live life with your family or yourself or whatever it is but pursue what you love to do in your free time. That might mean that you don't watch TV or that you don't play video games or whatever it is, but do give yourself the chance to figure out if it is what you love and don't do it so that you can figure out if you can be successful because no matter of what level you're at, you're always going to think you could do more. Mm -hmm. So when I sell 300 paintings, Person A would say, "Holy crap, that's successful." Person B would be like, "Well, I already sold 3,000, so you got a long ways to go, kid." Well, wow. so do it for your bucket. Is it filling your bucket up at the end of the day? Not your bank account, not whatever, that bucket that we all have that we need to fill like I can rest today. I did what I was supposed to do do it for that
0: what have you learned through this process of creating art that you'll take with you and you'll you'll teach your kids
1: I can't do it on my own as much as I think I can every day I tend to not ask for help and want to think oh I can do it I can do it I can do it Um, I couldn't do all of this if my wife hadn't decided that she wanted to or that she was going to get a job when we first started the plan or goal is that she doesn't have to do that pretty soon who knows if that's going to happen um I couldn't, you know, there's still a life to be lived. I can't just come in here and paint all day every day. I got to pick up kids. I've got to hang out with them. I got to I coach soccer. I do other stuff. Yeah. Um and so I can't let it be totally all-consuming either. Um but I've I've learned that if you just stick with the process and trust the process, You'll be okay.
0: Doors open up that you never thought would open, don't they?
1: Yeah, and I think, and I think that goes back to some of the things we talked about earlier about connections, and and the process. Um, those two combined. Mm. There, there are phone calls or emails that I get that I'm like, how in the world did this person ever find me or know me or f- see what I did? And then there's other times when you can see the tr- you can see the chain. You can see I painted for company A. Person B saw it. Sent it to person C online. I went and visited with person C. Person D was happened to be in the building. I had met that person seven years ago, and now I'm painting a big old mural for him out in the studio. And you can see that chain, and you can think, oh, well, that was a good thing I did that thing, even though painting for that company at the time was didn't seem all that exciting or those types of things. But I can honestly say that the things that I've done In the art world or in my business world that I thought were, I'll just use the word stupid or unproductive, often come back to be the most productive things, whether it be a year or two years later.
0: Wow. Some of the things that you thought were the most unproductive end up coming back to be the most productive. Absolutely. As we round out the podcast, Ken, it's an incredible story and there is no coincidence as to why you have created the tribe of followers in charlotte <laughs> because you do it for the right reasons and you stay true to yourself you trust your gut you follow your heart and you allow the people who interpret your art to do the work for you and i think mm-hmm. that's incredible one of the questions that i like to leave with um mm-hmm. tell me this life as a journey mm-hmm. all right explain your unique journey in a sentence
1: Good Lord. My life's journey in a sentence. I would say that my journey, my journey is a mess, and I'm okay with that.
0: It goes without saying. That there's a lot of creative space inside of Kent Youngstrom's head, inside of his body, <laughs> a lot of space at least. If it manifests itself yeah. into incredible artwork, Kent, where can people check out your work? Where can they keep up with you? Send people sure. that are listening.
1: They can find the best place to find me and to see what I'm doing with every day is on Instagram at Kent Youngstrom, and you can always go online to KentYoungstrom.com and see videos. Um, link to my book, artwork, all sorts of stuff, classes, everything we have here in Charlotte.
0: Kent, you're the man, and I
1: will be having one of these pieces of
0: artwork in my place. It will signify uh, the memories from both the hike, this experience, and I appreciate you letting us into the studio and, and capturing a piece of your life, man.
1: Of course, man. Anytime. You guys are more than welcome.
0: Kent Youngstrom, ladies and gentlemen. Man, you know what I love about Kent Youngstrom? I love the Absolute authenticity that this guy moves through the world with. He knows who he is. He makes no apologies about it and it comes through in his art. And I think that's why he continues to be relevant. That's why his success continues to grow. There's something so important about recognizing who you are, understanding what your pluses and minuses are, right? the things you do well and maybe the things that you aren't so comfortable with, and then really accessing that authenticity, being comfortable with yourself. And then once you get to that spot where you are at maximum comfort, I believe that 100%, and Kent's story backs this up, that your career and your quality of life will blossom So if there's anything that I want you to take from Kent's awesome story, yes, it is the fact that he works extremely hard. Yes, it is the fact that he is so creative that he can grasp new ideas and has the courage to implement those new ideas without any fear. But what I want you to take from Kent is the fact that he is Kent Youngstrom. He doesn't try to be anyone else, nor does he try to make any apologies for who he is. He's going to go Seclude himself in his studio, he's gonna get into the depths of his creative process, and he's gonna make art that's real to him. And every person who's inside Kent's circle of influence knows what to expect from him, knows the morals that he that he moves through society with, knows his values, knows what he represents, and he's not gonna waver from those. There's something so valuable about authenticity. Today as you move through your day, push yourself to be even more comfortable with yourself. Continue to be the best version of yourself and continue to create space for the person in the future that you see yourself to be. Ken Youngstrom, thanks for coming on the show guys. Thanks for listening. If Kent's story resonated with you, please jump on over. Check his website out, KentYoungstrom.com. Share this podcast episode with maybe some artists that you know that might need to be inspired by Kent's story. What about individuals who may need to hear that being themselves is all right? Push this podcast in their direction. I think Kent can speak volumes to just about anyone and everyone in our society. I thought this episode was incredible. I hope you like it as well. If you get a chance, get on over to iTunes, get Creating Space, a little bit of a review, rate it for us. Let me know what you think. I love how you guys are connecting with me specifically on Instagram. I'm loving some of the the comments that you guys are giving me, the quotes that you guys are tagging me in. It's, It's fantastic. It's such a good community and let's keep pushing each other to create space for the best versions of ourselves go rip up your day guys